0: It's time for the Access of Easy podcast, the weekly technology digest that keeps you ahead of the curve.
1: Brought to you by EasyDNS.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Access of Easy, all the latest and greatest in data breach and overreach. And this is recording attempt number two. My name is Joey. In the other panel, Len, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Friday morning. Yeah, we didn't get to this point. I'm great, Joey. <laughs> we were just trying
0: to work out some uh, technical issues in the background from our first recording. No, everything is great. We got hit with snow yesterday. I'm not sure how much snow you got over there. But you know what? It was minimal. Over here, and maybe an inch and a half, maybe two inches. And it was was nothing spectacular. So we got uh, we avoided a huge thing over here. I'm not shoveling. I'm just going to wait a few days. Let Mother Nature take its (laughs)
1: course. But how about you? How's things going over there? You're known for being uh, vehemently anti shovel. I am also going to try not to shovel, but I might end up doing it today. We'll see. I'm lucky my house is in a spot where the city plows the sidewalk for me so that's pretty good um and on top of that uh we didn't get much snow either probably a couple of inches there'll be a lot of brushes out today but not too many shovels if i had to guess same yeah
0: my wife went out last night and she did well she brushed her car and she did mine as well. Thank you very much, Daniela, for doing that. That was very nice of you. <laughs> Incredible. True,
1: true romance. True romance. It is. Yeah. She could have done it on <laughs> Valentine's Day. You no. didn't snow on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, man. That's funny. Okay. Last week's quote. Uh, let's see. If something can corrupt you, you're corrupted already. That was from Bob Marley. Good one. There's a Bob Marley movie coming out. I will definitely not be seeing it, but maybe you guys will. This week's quote, uh, Janet, by the way, the winner from last week. So congratulations, Janet. This week's quote: All conflicts between people are a direct consequence of the division that exists inside of people. That you know who that was by. You know the rules: no perverting the process, no googling, none of that stuff. Put it in the comments, and uh, you get half off, I think, or no, you actually get your next renewal for free, right? Which is incredible. Um, over on, on EasyDNS.com, so definitely make sure that you throw it in the comments if you know. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Now, Len, we have, I think, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five stories to discuss. Some of them pretty close to home. So where do you want to start?
0: Well, Bank of America. This doesn't really hit that close to home because I don't think they have any branches here in Canada. But still, nonetheless, what's happened there could potentially happen in banks that serve us here. Anyways, there's a data leak that took place at the Bank of America. And this was caused by a ransomware attack. On a third party vendor, and this attack exposed sets of information that could impact over 57,000 customers and just slightly over, in fact. And the attackers they've been identified as a group known as Lockbit. We're we gonna rank this, Joey. I, me, I, I'm gonna go almost middle of the road two and a half. Nothing. I, I think
1: it might be even less than that for me. Isn't that like an old? Like It feels like a reused name, doesn't it? Lockbit? Isn't that like a thumb drive company or something? I don't know.
0: It could be. It could be something from the late 90s, early 2000s. And just using a name. But anyways, yeah. yeah. You're not too impressed like me. But anyways, these guys, they've been a thorn in the side for banks for years. Not just because they have a crappy name, but because they've been extorting them for quite some time. And from what I gather from this story, I had to go through a, a few different sources. This wasn't somebody that breached the Bank of America directly. They didn't attack their systems directly. This was all a result of an unauthorized access to something called Infosys McCamish Systems, IMS. I've never heard of this before. And from I Googled it, did a little bit of research. This is a life insurance software solutions and services offering in the US. So the, these guys are providing the Bank of America in insurance process management solutions. So it's going to be something that they're providing to the bank and they take advantage of it. So that's where the hack took place. It was this Mm -hmm. uh, IMS systems thing. So this breach, with this breach, the attackers, they gained access to a whole bunch of information, including social security numbers, names, addresses, personal information, all that stuff that makes these data breaches so lucrative for these people, but it sucks for the people that were impacted. Well, the Bank of America, well, they're offering... The affected, co- the affected customers the traditional free identity and theft protection for two years good for them it's uh just par for the course but <laughs> all this took place in the month of november so just a, a few months ago and customers were informed earlier this month although there this was done in the state of maine and there was a 30-day window in which they should have provided information there was apparently some sort of extension granted and they provided this information to customers who were impacted earlier this month so all this really goes to show you is not only do we have to trust these things like the Bank of America, we also have to trust all the pieces of the puzzles that make this company work. So it's not an all-in-one system that they have. They're outsourcing stuff to a whole bunch of places. They have a lot of tentacles attached to them. And each one of them is a potential weakness that could be exploited. We all heard the saying that a chain is as strong as the weakest link. Well, this is an example of it. And I just want to highlight the fact that with Bitcoin you could be your own bank. I know we don't want to talk, but it just goes to show you how simplistic it can be, and you can have everything within your own house. You can control everything. You don't have to expose anything to these companies that then export it to all these other third parties, and who the heck knows what happens. It simplifies things with Bitcoin. So I'm just going to urge people out there that haven't yet done so, do some research with that, because using these banks you're giving up so much trust and. Let's see what happens with this trust. Well, you know what your information gets rugged and so have uh so you get your the 2 years tech protection from the uh from these uh companies that are giving you credit protection. Is it really worth it in the end? For me, no. Maybe for you it is, but
1: you know, let's see what happens. Bank of America has like 70 million or so customers um according to my research. So, this is a really small chunk of the um chunk of the client base, which is good, I guess. It's funny, the Bitcoin thing, like if you just put that aside, Pretend that you're not a Bitcoin guy. The one thing I would say to people who are still trusting banks, you know, you're you're trusting them for a couple of reasons. One is because they tell you it's the most secure place to hold your money and your information. The other is that they tell you your stuff is always going to be available. The third is that there's some kind of Lindy effect with banks. Like they're, they've they always been around. They'll always be around. I, I just don't see any of that being true anymore. And and we've talked about how many different times um, banks and sort of kin organizations or kin institutions even have been broken into or compromised thanks to outsourcing some of the process. Banks don't even do all the things for which they claim to be the stalwart for consumer or retail facing wealth. They outsource a bunch of it. So how can you really trust these guys? Personally I, I don't I don't trust the bank, you know? I've had my debit card compromised, my credit card compromised. They never tell me. I have to figure it out for myself. And then they put up a fight when, you know, you try and tell them that something went wrong. I, I don't know what the purpose of the bank is for a lot of people these days. Um, you can you can use other services for your paycheck. You can use other services for investing. You can use other services like Bitcoin if you want to really go uh, the independent route. But banks, more and more, they've lost the plot on what their original mission was, and I expect it to continue. They haven't kept up with the the, the threat assessment that they should. Uh, be reviewing every so often. Things have really advanced on the criminal and criminality side of things, and they haven't kept up, Land, Plain and simple. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They're going to be
0: just like the dinosaurs. <laughs> it's a matter of time before they may are made extinct. There's going to be some sort of black swan event that crushes them all together. But let's move on to talk about a bill in Canada, specifically Bill S. Now, when Mm -hmm. you see the S in front of a bill, that means it's something that has been proposed by a senator. So this bill, S-210, officially named an act to restrict young persons online access to sexually explicit material. That's quite a name for an act. Mm -hmm. And the bill's goal is to require age verification for accessing online content. And there are some people out there that are raising concerns about privacy and the difficulty of enforcing age verifications. So, you know, when they ask you your age, you could just lie and that could be one way around it. But and this also people are saying this could potentially impact Canadian businesses negatively if the bill is passed. And the reason being because websites could be blocked or people unwilling to give information. So they're not gonna be able to take advantage of the services that are provided by that website mm-hmm. or businesses. A lot really is hard to predict what's going on here, and everything is up for grabs. That's the reality of it. And you got to dig further, because one of the proponents of this bill is the Digital Governance Council. And this is a group that's been... eh, They've been lobbying. They've been an advocate for the passage of this bill. And whenever I hear a lobbyist group or even somebody lobbying, I got to wonder what's going on. What are the funds? What's the purposes? There's always questions i have to do with all that well the digital Co- governance council they're also creating a standard for age verification technologies so there you go there is uh, some people believe that this standard could lead to a widespread adoption of age verification technologies and should this be the case then the council could benefit financially as a result and something of note is the bill was first introduced back in november 2021 and we're recording this February 2024. This has gone through the Senate, the Senate committee committees. It's gone through three hearings over there. And now it's been passed over to the House of Commons, where it just completed the second reading as late as December 2023. And it's currently now a committee. It needs three readings from each of the House and the House of—sorry, and the Senate in order to receive royal, royal assent. So we're at the second stage, the second reading at the House of Commons. So this goes to show you how slow the process is to get something passed. And people out there are talking, maybe this has to do with the minority government. That's not the case because this only reached the House of Commons in May 2023. And that's where the minority situation is, is impactful. So it's been there for less than a year. As for the chances of this receiving royal assent, I think this is rather it's all dependent on how long this government lasts because the longest it could stay in place is until I think October, September, October, 2025. So theoretically that's the longest minority government could last. And if it does last that long, this bill might potentially become law. But if something were to happen to force an election sooner, all these things that are just waiting to be heard, they just, they die in a vine and that's that they, they no longer become law and they start from scratch. So There's a possibility this could become law. If you don't like it, then you're probably cheering for an early election. If you want to see this come into play, you're probably cheering for an election to take place as long as possible. So there you go. That's basically a nutshell of that. And even some inside uh, baseball with respect to the politics of this Um, seems interesting, but nothing else I could really add.
1: This is gonna pass because uh, parties, all three parties voted alongside each other to get it to second reading. And I listened to this podcast a few weeks ago. Actually, I think we talked about it on this show or on CBP. This is really concerning. It should be concerning for a lot of people because it takes away the sort of responsibilities of parents in favor of a broader state solution, which almost never works. We could talk about everything from digital identification to bread lines. And uh, anytime you involve the state at this level, you almost always have problems. That's a story for another time. The bigger concern for me is that the... What is what is the senator's name? Julie uh, meville Dechen. Good job. Yeah. I didn't even my,
0: bother trying to... Try, try, try my try my
1: best. Um, talk to Mike Geist, Michael Geist. Professor Geist does a, a podcast, Law Bites, which I listen to religiously. It comes out once a week or so. The problem that he raises on the show is one that she just simply does not have an answer for. It is that the bill is intentionally vague and sort of nebulous and broad in the way that it applies the regulation around age verification to publishing platforms, sort of platforms, let's say. There is no guarantee made by Julie, Senator Duchenne, uh, during the interview, although she does uh, do an admirable job dancing around the question. There's no guarantee made by her that you're not going to have to verify for Facebook, Google, Twitter. Instagram, all these different platforms, if there's some unknown at the moment threshold for pornography uh, distribution on the platform. Anyone who's got a Twitter account knows that there's always pornographic replies in the most popular tweets, always. It's sex bots, it's you know OnlyFans bots, it's whatever. They are always in the replies. Whether they're hidden or not, I think depends on what, what account you're using and maybe also on the the algorithm that tries to funnel you the stuff that you wanna see. But they're there. They're always there, and that's that's really where the, the problem is. Because once you start saying that you need to verify identification, and and you know, it, it really this is identity. It's not just age verification. It's I- identity verification. Age verification is a, a a red herring for what's actually going on here. This is very much your digital ID being used to to get, gain access to standard sets of information, search results, stuff like that. If you start going down this road, you know where will it stop? This, this is another question she doesn't have an answer for. And the bill is out there if you want to read it. Interesting to see Jim Balsilly is the leader of the Digital Governance Council. You know that's a name I haven't heard in probably ten or fifteen years. I, I don't know what he he has to gain by this, except that you know that he's a kind of a he understands the importance of data and data collection, having been the CEO of BlackBerry for some time or Research in Motion, I should say. All this together, I don't. I don't like it. I mean, no one should like it. I, as a parent, should be able to decide what my kids can and can't see. It's easy now with with relatively simple UI options and and you know things of that nature to to restrict at the router level or the I the um, uh, ISP level what my kids can see in my own home, and you know I would expect that. Kids will, of course, you know, stray from the rules that are set in the walls, which they live when they leave or when they're, you know, kind of growing up, some, some doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? It's hard to really put it in words, but at the end of the day, the, the, the answer cannot be that the government decides to put broad sweeping identity verification on basic Uh, internet services. I mean, Google is as close to a commoditized service as there is, and this doesn't exclude it. Twitter is as close to a commoditized service as there is, and this doesn't exclude it. One of the reasons that Twitter's been so successful is you can post as a nim there unpopular opinions and you know gain a following because people agree with you or they they want to see the facts and figures behind them or whatever the case is, even if they're not particularly favorable to the sitting government. And this is not me saying this alone. Professor Geis says this in the podcast. In the interest of time, I'll, I'll leave it there, but I recommend everyone go and listen to that show and listen to Law Bites more broadly. I've reached out to Professor Geist to come on CBP before because I wanted to talk about some of the stuff about media and the breakdowns of these bills that are, I think, detrimental to not only content creators but content consumers. He, he's right about this one too, and uh, I think everyone should give this. I think it's about 40 minutes, if I remember correctly. You should give it the 40 minutes that, um, that it deserves. It's 100% worth it, 100% worth it.
0: So you're of the opinion that the government is not going to collapse within the next year and a half. Even if they do, happen?
1: all the parties voted for it. Um, well, the, Sena- you know, it- the senator, the senator mentions the senator mentions in the interview that she expects it will continue regardless of who the party in power is because there's so self- uh, no support. That's that's incorrect. So what, what would happen if there's an election?
0: All bills that have not been passed, it's done. They all start from scratch. They'll, they'll stop. Minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it'll be this in the same the same name or whatever, but this initiative will continue. It, of course it will every I mean we could talk about this if you want briefly there there is no separation of ideas in Canadian politics anymore we are we have become the unit party that the United States is there's stuff on the fringes that makes you think the team who's wearing your jersey or the jersey you perceive to be wearing is winning and you celebrate that and that's fine but at the end of the day directionally it's all going one way the votes don't lie so whether the MPs wearing blue or red are the ones sitting in the throne The the direction of of this is going to continue. We will continue to move down this road of age verification, much the same way that we will continue to uh, set high immigration targets, right? We've seen the opposition leader duck, dodge, dance, and dip, uh, to quote a great uh, scholar from dodgeball, around the question of immigration targets. Directionally, this is another thing that's going the same way, and I expect it to continue. We can add this to the predictions that were made on one of our shows and revisit it in a couple of years, but I expect that you're going to see digital ID of some nature a lot sooner than people realize under the guise of something like this. This is the playbook, right? The guise of protecting children from pornography. Number one, why do kids need this protection, right? Like I I get the pornography is bad. I've I've, I've spoken about this many times, but they don't need it this way, right? And the, the comparisons that the Senator makes, it's funny. You know, one of the things she says about why there's bipartisan support is because it's akin to the liquor store checking IDs. And, you know, if you think these are the same things, and I think a lot of people do, Len, honestly, they're kind of lost in the sauce. It's like a quick comparison. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. I don't want my kid buying uh, liquor when he leaves my house. At the end of the day, these are not the same things at all. And we've already seen the tendencies of governments when they start asking for IDs and start controlling what you can and can't see and when you can and can't see it and assigning your credentials to what you say online. I'm not going to go into detail, but it's not a pretty picture. And I think that every government benefits from stuff like this, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the population. Again, I'm not going to you know debate that. But if you listen to the podcast and look at the votes, it's it's going to continue moving this way, whether it moves on this bill or not. I don't really care. I mean, that's really yeah. just, you know, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's really that's my ethics, argument, right? Yeah. Is it
0: going to be with this government or a different yeah. one? But yeah. in terms of the protocol and the system, how it, yeah. So if, if if that's the the idea you're coming with, yeah. So it's definitely going to happen regardless of who's in power. Yeah. But with respect to this particular bill, there's a potential it could be derailed should there be an early election. But, mm-hmm. anyways, on that same vein, we should talk about the next rate because it's a somebody's talking about well, people are talking about censorship that may be taking place on Facebook and with respect to posts that are being done on their platform. And these posts were removed at the request of Health Canada. And as a result of seeing this, you know, Health Canada making a request at Facebook to remove posts, people are saying that, you know, there's concerns about government influence on social media platforms and the potential implications of freedom of expression, which might be infringed upon as a result. And the Canadian government, through Health Canada, requested Facebook to remove several posts, several social media posts that were deemed to be spreading what they claim misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. And the targeted post posts, it's plural, reportedly contain content that was questioning the vaccine safety and how effective it is and so forth. And they were promoting alternate treatments or even outright discouraging vaccination altogether. So Facebook, as a result of receiving this from Canada, they complied with the request and they removed some of the identified posts and they were citing community standards against harmful information. But the platform then immediately faced some criticism for the lack of transparency about the removal of the criteria and that they might be under the influence of the government. So there is, you know, somebody can make an argument for that. So we have potential concerns about government censorship freedom of expression, the lack of transparency, because Facebook, they are vague. They provided a very vague reasoning for the removal process, and everything remains relatively unclear. And then there's also the, the argument that there is room for potential abuse moving forward. And, yeah, so, I, again, nothing I have to say about this. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's just an interesting uh, situation, interesting scenario. And, yeah, Facebook, they're just adhering to the government's request, and, you know,
1: you could read between the lines. I'll add some color to that. I've uh, some some uh, two copies in here, me as well. Uh, the three known, this is from the story, the three known instances of censorship collusion that happened at the time concerned the Canadian authorities asking Facebook to remove users' posts for disinformation about lifting a COVID restriction, rebel news rights. Say what you want about rebel news. I don't much care to debate the quality or the sort of sanctity of the reporting. I will say this, though, Len. Uh, How many times in the last little while have we seen studies and peer review uh, journals talk about how we really misfired on a lot of the restrictions, including, by the way, a university in my hometown, Hamilton, McMaster, publishing a study that says basically we shouldn't have closed schools, didn't help stop the spread of COVID. I mean, how many people were banned for saying that during the 2020, um, you know, neurotic COVID period? I would guess it's no small number. I would guess there's other posts that were asked to be taken down about lifting COVID restrictions. Sensible people made these observations with data early on. People like Golden Pup on uh, on Canadian Twitter. People like, um, you know, they, they were going at with, I think, relatively strong backing data, even though not all the data was available. People like Ryan McGreal, who was on every CBC station, every CTV station, every major Canadian news outlet for his COVID dashboard he ended up being fired from his job for sending sexually explicit photos to students. How'd that go? People were talking about that too. And I'm not trying to say that all the stuff the government asked to be removed is, you know, is is like a, a nefarious request. At the end of the day, these are people just doing their jobs. Sorry for saying that. I know a lot of people say that's not an excuse. I believe that maybe it is for some people, but that's neither here nor there. The point is that in retrospect, a lot of these things were correct and the data was there at the time. And I hope that we learn from this as a government, as a society, that censoring ideas that don't fly with the current narrative is almost always going to be a bad idea. It's better to engage with them, show through data, show through proofs that this is how things are. This is the the real state of affairs. And if it's not the real state of affairs, let's talk about what is the real state of affairs and how to get to a place that works for everybody using the data available. We didn't do that at all during COVID. And um, it's it sucks because, you know, you have a young one. I don't have any kids, but the, the thing I've heard from parents, including you um, over the last two or three years, is that it's clear that some parents weren't able to give their kids the quality time, attention, and education during that COVID period when schools were closed, you know, Kids need interaction with other kids, with adult teachers, with uh, the school community, with the with the content. You know, these are formative, important years for kids. It's taken away, and in retrospect, you have universities now like leading research schools like McMaster saying might have misfired on that one. Well, some people had it early, and it was censored. So let's not do that again. How about that?
0: Now, I like the article. It says they an extensive. Uh, research and they, they quoted extensive it was a couple of years worth of data that they were looking at as if One, you
1: need that much data like just look yeah. at the tests like standardized test scores right like that's really all you have to do um i, I would say that y- there's other ways to do this as well i won't go into them here but like th- re- it's not like you need peer review to figure this out right you could you could adjust even
0: to standardized scoring you could Manipulate the testing in such a way that it gets easier over time if you want sure. to skew the results. So even that, one could make an argument. It's it's going to be a hard, uh, it's going to be hard to look at that data and use it as to defend your argument. I'm, I'm just going to say one particular scenario: mm. um, kids that had that even were uh, allowed back to school, but they were forced to mask up. The ones that have difficulty speaking and they have to see somebody speak they have to read their lips there's a kid on my street that does that for instance he has a, he has trouble hearing so seeing seeing them speak helps them a lot helps them a lot but with the mask on it just made it so much more yeah. difficult for him yeah. to so yeah
1: and the, i know these are one-offs but this is they're not though they're not like that's an anecdote but it's not an uncommon one I, len when you and me talk to people who maybe have english as a second language right Oftentimes, to to really understand the the meat of what they're saying, you rely on their facial expressions. You're looking to see if there's a smirk, a smile, a frown, a cringe, or whatever. With a mask, you can't do that. And it it like p- the the people who who say that social interactions are as whole with a mask as without, you're wrong. You you're just wrong. There's you don't need peer reviewed data for this. You are wrong about that. Okay, and not to, not to mention that. Stuff like schools closing really added to the education gap between the well-to-do's and the not-so-well-to-do's. If your parents are working retail or driving Uber or working in a restaurant and your kids are not in school, what are they doing? They're sure as shit not learning. But if you got a laptop class job and you can spend time with your kids when they're at home, your kids are getting further and further ahead. The the next 10 years, there's going to be so many studies. And, and result uh, data results from testing and scoring and admissions and failures and whatever that shows that this was a, a, an unmitigated disaster for the Western world, specifically in Canada and the United States. I don't know about Europe, but um, in those two countries, yeah, it was a disaster. There's, there's no way around this and there's not gonna be any reckoning or responsibility, of course, right? There never is. Um, but the one thing we have to do is make sure it doesn't happen again. And when you censor stuff like this, instead of engaging with the ideas and the data, you get repeat errors. Can't have that. It's too risky. It's too important. Let's make sure we we don't go down this road a second time.
0: Agreed. Joey, since we're talking about censorship and, well, let's transition to something totally different because there's a lawsuit that's going on with OpenAI. OpenAI. We have talked about this many different times. ChatGPT, yeah. they have been, they were sued, and this lawsuit is still going on. But it looks like most of the claims have been dismissed. And the lawsuit is funny because the lawsuit stems from some authors who claimed that ChatGPT infringed on their copyright by stealing their information. It was stealing that generating text that is very similar to the work which they produ- produce. And the group that made this challenge. It not only includes these authors, but also comedians as well. Uh, Sarah Silverman, I think, is one of the people that are involved mm. in this. Um,
1: is she, she's a comedian, right? Am I uh, wrong? I don't in, even know. In name only. I, I was just about oh. to say, I can't imagine ever benefiting from stealing Sarah Silverman's material, but go on. You know, I, I can't even, <laughs> I don't even know what she does. Anyways, um, <laughs> I guess that they
0: don't take kindly to the fact that ChatGPT is developing its own sense of humor. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. There's competition out there. The, this judge that's overseeing this case dismissed most of the claims by the plaintiffs uh they were saying that on the basis that chat gpt used copyrighted material that was fair use fair use is actually it's it's a kind of a vague thing but uh, it's a very important thing yeah. if you should read about it if you don't know about it it's pretty interesting but anyways it allowed the claim that open ai used copyrighted material to train chat gpt and they did it without permission to proceed and the judge uh, allowed that the authors to amend their claim. This I find interesting. So basically they're allowing them to amend the claim. It, it sounds like that there's going to be some new evidence they're going to be allowed to present. And it's changing the course of the direction of this court case. I, I find this to be rather interesting. I'm wondering if this is going to be uh, struck down in an appeal process, but I don't know too much about Californian law. But what I find a little bit odd about this amendment is that it's, you know, it's, it's all in hinge, it hinges on what they call unfair practices under California law. So that's basically what it's all stemming from. So again, I'm not too familiar with California law. Heck, I'm not even familiar with Canadian law. to Whatever. <laughs> the, so the base of all this is that the, pro, uh, the program chat GPT didn't create its own content. It had to be trained uh, and it did so by sifting through databases of human produced content. But let's look at this at a different way. Because all chat GPT is doing is providing it's a it's a fancy search engine that spits out a more intelligent result. So rather than going through Google and typing in something and then sifting through web pages like you normally do, this gives you the result it thinks it's it's best for you. And it does so by adding human flair to it, a human element to it. That's really all this is. So if you break this down, this is just a fancy search engine that could give you information that's kind of like a human providing the information so i don't know I it's, I, I it's all i gotta say about that particular thing but the copyright office they're considering how copyright law should apply to ai generated content that could be very concerning if they really want to strike down chat gpt and be a thorn in their side but there's going to be a ruling on this that it's probably going to take several months before we hear all about this and yeah that's basically the the, the nitty-gritty of this story
1: I don't know enough about this to make an additional comment, not any value. But I will say that the idea that GPTs and like large language models putting out content that's similar to something a comedian or author said or wrote, or their you know it kind of mirrors their cadence or mannerisms in the text. I don't, I don't see how that's stoppable, honestly. Because I could just put in a couple of Sarah Silverman jokes or whatever, and ask that it give me a couple more jokes about X topic in the same style. And over time, you know, through the feedback loop, you could you could probably home the thing pretty well. Is that going to be illegal? Like, what's where's the bait? Like, where's the barrier for that? Again, like this is an example of laws just being so far behind the technology. Um, it, it, it's it's not it's not stoppable, right? I, I I don't I don't know what else to say about this.
0: That's reactionary. That's typically how laws are. It's yeah, something yeah. happens, and a uh, law is written to try. And when you're dealing with technology, which is advancing at a clip that is unforeseen, it's very difficult then for laws to keep up. And it's always chasing this thing. It's it's
1: great. happening so fast now. Like it's yeah. literally everywhere. And and you sh- every story we do this this you know every story we did this week and every, all the ones we've done in the last like few months, I'm always left thinking there's just no way for. The, the cruise liner that is the you know government policy machine to keep up it's just not it's just not possible it's just not possible
0: you know who else can't keep up it's ivanti the vpn <laughs> <laughs> because their appliances we've talked about them before too this yeah. is not the first and it was very recent at that and so their vpn appliances they were exploited by attackers to inject a back door And the attackers were able to gain full control of hundreds of IT infrastructures. And Ivanti released a patch to fix this vulnerability. But the versions of the appliances, some of them have still not been patched. (laughs) So that's pretty funny. So the, the vulnerability exists in the Ivanti Endpoint Manager, the Ivanti Security Manager, and Ivanti Patch Manager. So if you happen to use any of those three products... You may want to figure just unplugging all that shit and, and disconnecting <laughs> from it altogether. Because that was the you, advice
1: you gave last time, dude. Just rip this <laughs> out of the well, wall. Here we are it's key for that. Find something better.
0: But it's the the cause of this is an insufficiently authenticated API call, and it can allow the attackers to execute arbitrary code within the system privileges. And uh, how bad is that when you give somebody <laughs> root access to do whatever the heck they want to do? So, yeah, it's it's a backdoor into all this, and yeah, they get full control. So, the patch is, yeah, it's coming out, but what else can I say about this? I've had to, like, you're trash. (laughs) Like, come on. Like, how how crap of a service do you, how crap of a product do you you provide when you can't even patch all the the holes in your system? And this has not been, this has been going on for some time. This is a repeat story we've talked about. It's like the second time in two months
1: for sure, right? I'm pretty sure it's been that recent.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what? They must be associated somehow with Ethereum. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> and if they are, then I can understand. I'm not going to give them a pass. But are they just you know... they
1: forking the MetaMask code for their uh, security uh, suite? I don't know. It's funny. You know, like, I, I don't i don't use Ivanti VPN. Fine. I, I mean, thank God, I guess, at this point. But the more the other thing I notice about myself, like, the way my thinking around this kind of stuff is changing, the more I think that I kind of want to do, like, a full... Start nine, everything in-house, like data storage, computing, whatever suite for CBP, for Bitcoin, for whatever. And just keep everything on on file, like everything local, everything locked down. The more I see stuff like this, the more I'm like, I can't risk giving out like <laughs> I can't risk giving out responsibilities to these companies. By the way, if you look at Ivanti's like reviews they're, they're pretty good. Like they're damn near pristine. So people are either lying or don't even realize this is going on. But I mean, for me, the more I think about this, the more I'm like, I'm willing to take another step in terms of sovereignty and, and complexity in my own computing setup to make this something that I hold a little closer to the chest. You're already there, right? Like you've been a Linux user for a long time. You do some other stuff too.
0: I I am not, this this is a, uh, it's a constant change. Like it's not like you get there. It's no, but you're but you're but
1: you're you're willing. I shouldn't say you're already there, but your willingness to to go another step in terms of difficulty and complexity on this path to greater security. You've you've already done that. You've you've already said to yourself like, I'm not going to do Windows. I'm going to learn this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've all
0: done it a little bit to a to a degree. If you use a cold card, and, yeah, i um, you know, I'm not going to say if you do or not. But if you use a cold card, and I'm going to say I do. Uh, there's a level of, it's a challenge to understand how to use it. It's, I'm not going to say it's difficult. My daughter has done it, but still you have to invest the time to do it. It's so much easier just to buy an ETF and park your money like that. But just by using a cold card, you're making a decision to say, you know what, it may be more challenging to do this, but there's a reward for doing it. So the same applies to self-sovereignty with your data, passwords, all that crap. So yeah. Um, I would suggest anybody out there that has gone through the, the motions to use something like a cold card, you could do the same thing with your data. If you're going to do this for your wealth, do it for your data as well. It only makes sense. And in the end, it's just a little bit extra work, but the rewards are limitless.
1: Yeah. I'm on the start nine website right now. Everything looking juicy here. Anyway, that's, um, that's it. That was access of easy number three thirty-seven. If you like what you heard, you should. The sultry tones of Len and I talking about all the latest and greatest in data breach and overreach and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com, of course, and visit the website, accessofeasy.com. There's more stories that we didn't talk about. We take the five best and uh, most important, do a little discussion, a little back and forth, and then uh, we leave the rest to you guys. So make sure you visit, make sure you subscribe. And until next time, take care of yourself. Yeah,
0: take care bye.